0: It's time again for another episode of CMO Combo, and that means it's time again for another conversation on the important things CMOs need to know. Today we're joined by Mike Shapica, CMO of Channel Advisor and he's sharing his insights on the state of e-commerce and the role data plays into marketing strategies both now and in the future. Hi Mike, welcome to CMO Combo. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How about you Will? I'm good, I'm good, yeah, yeah definitely um, and I'm very excited about this conversation as well because it's It's one that's gonna be very, very relevant to a lot of CMOs, both in B2B and B2C. E-commerce, it's been a major part of marketing and business for a while now, but I think the pandemic has called it to absolutely explode in terms of usage, in terms of the the requirements put on it. Uh, But before we do get down into talking about e-commerce, maybe you could introduce yourself. Mike, tell us a bit about yourself and tell us a bit about Channel Advisor as well.
1: Sure, yeah. So my name is Mike Schapiker. I'm the CMO of Channel Advisor. Uh, Channel Advisor is a uh, leading provider of software-as-a-service-based uh, e-commerce solutions. So we have a multi-channel commerce platform that helps our customers uh, streamline their e-commerce operations and really focused on the on channels such as marketplaces and dropship and advertising, um, and shoppable media. And we help them expand the new channels and, and really optimize performance on those channels. So that's Channel Advisor in a nutshell. Um, my background uh, I have probably a little bit of an odd background for a CMO. I started uh, my life in electrical engineering at university. I came out and was doing some of that in, in consulting. Um, I, I went back and got a business degree. I ended up doing product marketing for a while. Um, then I've done account management. So working with some of our large customers at Channel Advisor, uh, managed services. I ran our business operations team, product management, helped out with some acquisitions. I had some international experience over in London uh, and, and now I'm the CMO, so I'm probably a jack of all trades, master of none. Maybe not necessarily the recommended path uh, for a CMO, but nevertheless, that's that's my journey so far.
0: It's it's a very very diverse background in terms of everything you covered. Do you th- do you think that's given you a certain outlook in how you approach CMO, uh, being a CMO in terms of like how you deal with all the different stakeholders within your organization?
1: Uh, I think so.
0: Um, I
1: think it gives me an appreciation for. Uh, other teams and, you know, maybe the struggles they're going through and, and you know, something's not working right on the, on the operations side. I can, I remember back to my time on that team and I can maybe feel a little bit more sympathy for them uh, than, than I should. Um, but yeah, so I think it's given me a broad perspective on, you know, on, on marketing now.
0: And, and having that broad perspective has got to be very important when it comes to e-commerce because it, it requires so many different departments being involved. Um, is, is, is that kind of diverse background giving you a better, a better perspective on how to how to leverage e-commerce for for organizations?
1: Um, I, I think so. I think you know the the one thing, and I don't claim to be an expert on, on anything. Um, But the I I think one thing that's really helped is my time early on at channel advisor I was working directly with our customers so working directly with them to help them sell on on marketplaces and at the time. When I was doing it, it was mostly eBay It was when you know Amazon marketplace hasn't hadn't you know really rose to the prominence it is today, Um, and then you know I was helping uh, our you know customers advertise on Google Uh, so. You know, I've actually I've actually worked kind of down in the trenches with our customers. And again, this was a long time ago, so a lot has changed since then. It's a lot more complicated now than it used to be when I was doing it. Uh, but I think that background still helps me a lot, you know, when, when, yeah. we, when we're targeting customers and, 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 you know, what's the messaging and, and how can we help, you know, Fantastic. with our marketing effort, how can we
0: help them? Fantastic. Um, speaking of a lot of things have changed, a lot of things have changed in a very short amount of time recently with e-commerce. Um, yeah. The, the, the amount of consumers who have switched using e-commerce as their, their main source of doing any kind of shopping or retail, um, the number of B2B organizations that have had to switch over to e-commerce models has increased massively as well. Is this something that's likely to continue beyond the pandemic, or is this just a, a flash in the pandemic? I'm trying to coin that as a phrase. I haven't heard it used yeah, anywhere else like yet, that. but yeah, i have like thrown it around a lot. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it is... It, are people going to stick with like e-commerce as their, as their main source of any kind of retail or, or are they going to go back to stores in like the same numbers that they were prior to the pandemic?
1: Yeah, so uh, I think the answer is a little bit of both, um, but let me let me start you know, by saying, you know, as we all experienced in the early days of the pandemic. Uh, many economies just shut down so non essential brick and mortar stores were just shut. Um, And if you look at all the government data from, you know, Q2 2020, Q3 2020, e-commerce sales spiked. And at the time, that led a lot of, you know, pundits and experts to say that e-commerce growth, which had really been just ticking up steadily year by year, just slowly gaining shares, slow but steady. Uh, But anyway, at the time when the pandemic first shut everything down, the pundits started saying, hey, e-commerce has been pulled forward 10 years or five years or 100 years. I mean, there was outrageous claims being made. Um, as we've started to get back to normal, I think it's clear that a lot of those early predictions were maybe a bit exuberant, so you know, exaggerated. Uh, but there's no doubt that the pandemic created for many people, many organizations, new experiences um, that they, um, they may not otherwise have had, you know, without the pandemic. So just to give an example, we did uh, we did consumer surveys uh, globally. Uh, last year, you know, toward the latter part of last year. And we had done this a couple times throughout the pandemic. But in the most recent surveys, um, 50% of respondents indicated they were shopping online more since the pandemic. And 45% said it was about the same. So 95% were either the same or more. And it's actually a little bit higher in the UK uh, there. Um, The second question or the next question asked about future expectations. And 42% uh, globally, thought that they would shop online more than before the pandemic. So, uh, another 55% said nothing would change. You know, really from that point. So that's 97% of either we're going to do the same or more uh, since the pandemic. And then, you know, just taking it. So surveys are great, but taking it down to a personal level. Um, I I use grocery delivery and click and collects for grocery for the first time in the U.S. Uh, when the pandemic, you know, was at it's, you know, when everything was, was shut down, I, when I lived in London for a few years, I'd previously used a grocery delivery service. Uh, and that experience was great. Um, but in the US, it's, you know, it's pretty easy to hop in your car and just, you know, drive to the store. So I hadn't really done it here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once the pandemic hit, I started doing it. And, you know, now I'm back in stores, uh, but I still do use that click and collect uh, every now and then when I can get my act together and get a list long enough to, you know to go you know uh, go pick it up so mm-hmm. I, that's just a personal example of something i hadn't tried the pandemic got me to try it and I, i'm going to keep doing it maybe not as much as i did for those you know couple months during the, the peak of the pandemic but i'll keep doing it going forward and so i think overall this is, this experience is probably uh, the same for everybody and so e-commerce is going to be lifted um maybe just a little bit above and beyond the normal tick up that we were seeing mm-hmm.
0: yeah so because it was already on the rise already. Um, I mean, yep. you mentioned the UK. There's been loads and loads of studies about how the, the British high street is dying, like the British retail sector is dying because of it being replaced by e-commerce. But then and I think there is also going to be people who want to get out into the world. They want to go out and experience being in the stores again now. So maybe maybe there will be more of a balanced approach in the future in, in the UK, at least. Um, but that, that kind of leads me to what, I want to talk about next. And then the, the expectations that people have for e-commerce now, you said like, you tried something that you hadn't tried before during the pandemic. A lot of that is waking up to the the convenience of, of something. like it's, it's so efficient. Well, we have so many expectations that e-commerce needs to be efficient. If it's a physical product, people want it delivered the next day or maybe even the same day, if possible. If it's a, a digital product, they want a very, very smooth onboarding process. And that, that's the same in B2B and B2C. So mm-hmm. are there any other major expectations that people have in terms of e-commerce um, beyond just convenience So, there are other things that people need, that CMOs need to be aware of when they're developing e-commerce experiences?
1: Yeah, I think, I think one thing, it's, it's maybe a slight twist on the question, but I think it's one thing that's important to point out about e-commerce is that you might get locked into the thinking that it just means that you're going to Amazon or you're going to your favorite online retailer to buy something and that's e-commerce but really the discovery process and the buying journey is extremely diverse for, uh, for consumers. Um, Harvard Business Review had a study, uh, it was, it's several years old now, but it showed that 73% of consumers use multiple channels uh, during their shopping journeys and that's online channels and offline. And then Google had a similar study that had about the same percentage of consumers consider themselves channel agnostic. And so you know, if you're trying to reach consumers, um, as a CMO, of a brand, or retailer, or whatnot, you need to be in a lot of different places at at once with your brand. Um, and just you know, going back to that survey, we we actually asked uh, consumers in the survey, in the past twelve months, how have you discovered the products that you've purchased online? And we, of course, we let them pick more than one. And I think the average was maybe three, uh, three or more things that that people picked. But when you look at the responses, the top responses were, I think, 42% said they found uh, discovered products by browsing marketplaces. And so I think Amazon had a big impact there. 38% said browsing brand or retailer webs- websites. 33% was word of mouth. So that makes sense. We're all you know, talking to our friends. And uh, 24% said social media and slightly lower than that, social advertising. Um, what's interesting there is when you we, we picked it apart by demographics, we, we captured the demographics. And so, as you might imagine, the younger generation, so um, people twenty five years old and younger, uh, sadly, I'm way past that. Um, I'm more than double past that. <laughs> but those demographics had much higher social media uh, scores. And then you know Google search came up there for about twenty three percent and then twenty percent talked about ads on TV or streaming platforms. So, you know, as a CMO, um, you need your offerings or your products to show up wherever your target customers may be looking. Um, And for, you know, to provide a great customer experience, the descriptions, the images and how your brand is represented uh, needs to be consistent across all of those channels. Uh, So that's really, you know, taking e-commerce and thinking about it from it's not just maybe my own site. I need to think about wherever consumers may be looking for me. And then, as you mentioned, you know the other expectations uh, from the consumer's point of view are really, I think you have been shaped over the last several years by Amazon. So you mentioned it, you know people want to check out that's fast and easy. Um, they want great customer service. Uh, they want fast and free shipping, and they want a relatively easy returns process if that has to be the case. And you know of course, not everybody can do what Amazon's doing. Um, with fulfillment in particular, <clears throat> Amazon's built out such a massive network of uh, fulfillment infrastructure that nobody else is going to be able to do that. Uh, it, going to be able to take something and put it on my door, you know, in, in a day or in a couple of hours after I order it. Uh, but that, I think that's OK. As long as shipping times are reasonable and, and prices are reasonable, you know, different companies have different strengths. You know, uh, it could be product expertise or category expertise, uh, which, you know, Amazon's not really known for that. Um, Zalando over there in Europe is is really known for apparel. You know that's their mm-hmm. that's their thing. Um, and then you know you mentioned the high street and stores. The the ability to pick up in a store is also you know Amazon's putting out there more and more stores. They bought you know Whole Foods in the U.S. But they don't have as, as broad of a network of stores maybe as some other retailers. So the ability to order and say okay well I can't deliver it on your doorstep in two hours, but you can just kind of walk down the high street here and you can pick it up from me in ten minutes. That's something you know that uh, that a lot of companies can leverage to really provide that
0: you know a similar experience uh, uh, you know for that fast and free delivery yeah definitely and um when you when you talk about uh consumers using different channels as well they 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 expect it to be seamless how they switch between these channels now like if they're if they're browsing on say um t- if they're on tiktok looking at um uh, an influencer looking at the clothes they've got available there they that is advertising them for sale somewhere. They want to be able to click straight through from TikTok to be able to buy from there. Mm-hmm. They, they don't want to be having to re-enter information. They don't want to be logging into different accounts and stuff like that. They even want to be able to switch between devices. Like if you've got a checkout, if you've got a basket that's full that you've filled on your phone, if you switch to say your laptop, you want to see that basket still there. You don't to have to go around and re-enter all your, and um, do all your browsing and stuff again. So that, that's going to be incredibly difficult to manage being able to, make sure everything's aligned and everything's seamless between different experiences.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right there. The less friction there is, the more chance you have of of making a sale. And Amazon has reduced a lot of friction for consumers. And I think, you know, a lot of other companies are doing the same thing. Um, but yeah, reducing
0: that friction is key. But yeah, and in order to reduce that friction, it requires... Well, to tie this into the subject of the episode, it requires a lot of data. It requires being able to keep track of where all your consumers are, how they're switching between devices. So let's let's dive into the role of data in e-commerce because obviously it does have a big function, but let, let's break it down. Like what kinds of data are the most important when it comes to e-commerce?
1: Yeah, so you know, e-commerce uh, marketing is really all about data. Um, and, and I mentioned customers using different channels and the data you need... Uh, the data you need for every channel may vary a little bit. You know the, the specific data points you're paying attention to, uh, but you know at a super high level, there's the basic ingredients that apply in some way across every channel, and that is, you know, first of all, uh, how many people are seeing your offers or your ads. Uh, second, how much did it cost you to get in front of those people to to gather that traffic or, or gather that audience? So the cost. Um, and then you know the next thing is after that, what do those people do? So what are the conversion rates? What are the revenue you make uh, from those people? Um, and of course, those basic elements allow you to calculate a return on investment. So, so those are present in pretty much every channel. Um, but then the, the next level down is the data points that can provide clues as to why your performance is what it is, or why your performance may not be as good as you want, or you know how do you compare to the competition. And you know, I have some examples there I can go into. Um, so I, you know, I'll just dive in there. Let's you... yeah, dive in, yeah, let's do it, let's do it. Okay, sounds good. So, you know, I think, you know, people who have e-commerce site, they're probably very familiar with their own site. So let me, let me take a different tact and go into uh, marketplaces, for example. So uh, let's say you're selling on a marketplace. Again, you need to watch the basics, the revenue, all of the fees associated with those marketplaces, return rates um, by product, by marketplace. Basically, you need to make sure you're making money. You know, you don't want to do something and, and be losing money. So that's the obvious bits. I can make money. All right. So w- once you figure out you can make money, uh, there are other metrics that matter a lot on marketplaces. And I'll use, you know, Amazon as an example. But a lot of marketplaces, you know, uh, utilize some these these metrics in, in one way, shape, or form. Uh, so, you know, where are your product ranks in search results? That's a, that's a pretty key thing to pay attention to. Um, traffic to the product pages, uh, you know, the number of units that are sold uh, from those product pages. Again, that kind of gives you the conversion rate. But on, on Amazon, the unique thing is uh, they have a product page, but they have they have multiple sellers selling that same product. So they have the buy box. And most consumers, you know, you go to the page and you see the buy box over there and and you click, you know, add to my cart or buy. And a lot of times you're not even paying attention to who's selling it. You know, you may see it's sold by Amazon or you may see it's sold by such and such seller. So winning that buy box is super important for sales volume. If you're not in it, you're not going to sell a whole lot. If you're in it, you're, you're probably going to sell a whole lot. And Amazon has um, algorithms that figure out who goes into that buy box. Um, they don't publish it. They don't give away you know, the keys to the kingdom and, and other retailers don't do that either uh, because otherwise then people might, might game them. Um, but the important factors, I think, uh, for Amazon and probably a lot of other marketplaces include a lot of operational metrics. So Amazon, Zalando, Walmart, all of these companies want to provide consumers with a great experience. And so if you're a seller and you're not providing a great experience, they don't want to put you in that box and have people buy and then have a bad experience on their site. So there's a lot of operational metrics. And you know, as a CMO, you may think, oh, that's my operations team that's in charge of those metrics. It's not me. I'm, I'm on the marketing metrics. But those operational metrics depend on whether you show up. So, you know, whether you're in marketing or finance or operations, if you care about your sales on Amazon or Zalando or any marketplace, you need to pay attention to these metrics. And there are things like, um, you know, I'll just read through the list, won't go through all the details, but obviously product availability. Um, if you only have one, one of something left, you, you're probably not going to be in the buy box because, you know, one one sale and it's gone um, shipping methods, or as we know, with Amazon, you know, Amazon Prime has an advantage. Uh, so if you're using their FBA program or seller fulfilled prime or something else where you can be part of that prime, um, that's that's an important aspect. Price, obviously a factor. Uh, all things equal. You know, if somebody's double the price. The lower price is going to end up in that buy box. Uh, shipping times, you know, all things equal. The faster shipping times are going to end up there. And then you start getting to things like order defect rates, uh, which really factors in buyer claims. So how many buyers you know, have some kind of problem, uh, negative feedback and chargebacks. And so I think order defect rates need to be you know, less than 1%, probably a lot less than that in order to you know, have your best chance of being in that buy box. Mm-hmm. Um, there's fulfillment related metrics such as, you know, are you providing tracking information uh, were the orders shipped later than the expected ship date? What percentage of orders are delivered on time? All of those fulfillment related metrics. Of course, there's seller feedback scores. So if you, you know, make a lot of customers angry and they give you bad feedback, you know, it's gonna hurt your chance of being in that buy box. Uh, how fast you respond to customer inquiries and questions. Um, inventory depth, meaning you don't have huge swings in inventory from time period to time period. How many, and then you know, if, you, if you cancel a lot of orders, uh, on the seller side, that's that's a negative. So all of these really operational metrics that you know maybe if, you know a traditional you know traditionally maybe a CMO doesn't necessarily have to pay attention to that, because it impacts your performance so highly on these marketplaces. Uh, I think these become important metrics that everybody has to pay attention to. It on your tell- own site,
0: Sorry, yeah. go, 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 go on, go on, go on, Mark. Oh, I was going to
1: say on your own site. Yeah. That you'll create a bad customer experience and, they, and the customers may not come as fast, but you're not going to, you know, you're not going to shut down your own site because you had some issues, but you could get shut down on a marketplace because you have these issues. So super important.
0: De- definitely, definitely. And it sounds like it's a huge amount to keep track of, particularly if, uh, say you were on multiple marketplaces, like with, with, we were talking about hypothetically just the one marketplace to keep track of. If you've mm-hmm. got uh, the multiple marketplaces, say you're selling on eBay Alibaba, Amazon, like all these different um, all these different marketplaces, you're getting a lot of third party data there. Like how can you keep track of and collate and collect everything that, so it's, it's actually usable? Like, so, so you've got like a single source of truth with how things are performing on these different marketplaces.
1: Uh, yeah, so yeah, I, by coincidence, that's what Channel Advisor does. So we, <laughs> we have a, um, our, our, our platform, you know, helps our customers plug into uh, multiple marketplaces and, and manage the product data out, you know, for consistency, and then manage the orders back in, uh, so there's a you know seamless order process for the orders flowing in and then flowing over to the the warehouses and the and, and whatever else you need to fulfill. So um, otherwise, yes, it could be it can be pretty complicated to uh, to track all of that. And I, I you know honestly, I don't know how you do it if you if you were interfacing with every single one of them individually.
0: So let's let's talk about some of these data metrics that CMOs can actually move the needle on? Like what, what kind of effect can, can marketers have on say, uh, return rates or product defects? Like what kind of things can the CMOs do to, is it just about manage expectations when it comes to that kind of thing with the kind of copy you're writing, the content you're writing, or is it is there more that marketers can be doing?
1: Um, yeah, I think, yeah I, I think some is working with other teams when you identify a problem. And then some does come down to uh, content. Um, you know, I had, I had another example, so i use marketplace as an example. Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, maybe I have another example that can try to answer that question a little bit. And so let's say you're a brand and you're selling through indirect channels. You have a, you have a retail uh, set of channels. Um, so again, sales margins, kind of the top level metrics are super important. Uh, but then once you get below that to your question, What might be impacting performance on those sites on any given retail site and you know there's there's something called brand analytics or digital shelf analytics that help uh, figure out what's happening on those sites and then give you a few clues as to what you can maybe do to, to to fix the problems um and so these things can impact both your visibility on the sites and your conversion rates and so the most basic data point is whether your products are even in stock on, on a retail site. And it's, I mean, it's so basic, it's almost not worth saying. You know, it's kind of laughable, like, right, of course, you know, if your product's not there, you're not going to sell it. Uh, but monitoring that product availability over time is important. So you can, you can figure out with your retail partners, which ones maybe have issues keeping your products in stock. And that, that could be something on your side. It could be you know, with your channel people, maybe having a problem with that. Reta- it could be something on the retailer side. And with that metric, that, that's all about maybe working with other teams to figure out, hey, what's going on with this retailer? Why is my, my catalog in and out of stock? Um, so that's one example of maybe working you know, outside of, of marketing. Um, uh, closely related to that is your, what's your catalog or what's your assortment on a retail site compared to your competition? So that can influence, you know, maybe the perception of of how big your brand is on any given retailer. Um, The next thing from a visibility perspective, and and this is where maybe marketing has a little bit more control, uh, working with the retailers is where do your products appear in search results? So this is important to monitor, you know, your key category search terms, your key product search terms. Uh, When a consumer does that, where do you show up? As we know, if you're not on that first page, you lose about 80% of the people that aren't going to scroll through the page three to find, you know, to find your item. Mm-hmm. So that gives you a clue as to, okay, why am I not on the first page? That you know, that just monitoring the, sh- the search tells you where do you have a problem with certain products. And you know, obviously we just talked about you know defract rates and all this stuff at Amazon. Those operational metrics may still be important, but in this case, the retailer is, is maybe taking care of that for you. So then it comes down to maybe more, you know, maybe the content, as you just mentioned. So if you're not appearing near the top, uh, what are some possible causes? And again, most retailers don't publish their algorithms for everybody to see. So they're not gamed. But there are, you know, there are basic things. So your titles, you know, do they, do they include your key search terms or key, you know, key terms for that, that type of product? Um, is your brand in the title? Um, do you have images? Uh, you know, for your products, how many images do you have? Uh, is there other critical information that is is used in those retailer search algorithms? For example, um, you know, just thinking about Amazon or Marketplace or something, uh, you can you can get into a category, and then you know, on Amazon, there's all these filters on the left hand side, and you can click your way through the filters, and it narrows down the product list. Well, in order to in order for those filters to be effective a lot of times you have to, as a brand or a seller you have to submit that data to the marketplace so the filters work if you're not submitting that data the consumer uses those filters and you're not going to show up in the results so you know getting that data right over to the retailer over to the marketplace is step one and then once it's there uh, monitoring those retailers to figure out with that content you know what might be missing so i talked about titles i talked about images um Uh, The other important thing is, you know, what are the key terms in there, um, or the key, you know, product details. uh, So when the consumer does get in there, they can see the full picture of of what am I getting with this product. Um, So that content is important for the SEO aspect on the retail site, um, but also to ensure that, you know, your brand is being represented consistently and you're providing consumers with an optimal experience. And that can also affect uh, conversion rates. So you, know, you just mentioned, okay, maybe a product's not selling or a product's getting returned a lot. Why is it getting returned a lot? Well, maybe I don't, have, maybe there's an expectation that I didn't make clear in the, in the copy, you know, in the content I gave to my retailer that said like, this product includes this or does not include this. And so the consumer had no idea when they, when they read that description that you know, this was or was not going to be the case. So that's important from that
0: consumer experience uh, point of view. Um, so that kind, of, go ahead. No, no, I, I was about to say as, as well with the the, the post sale as well reviews have got to be very important in terms of how you rank on on these uh, on the search pages on marketplaces as well. Like if you're getting lots of five star reviews on Amazon, for example, you're going to be ranking higher in that respect. I'd assume. I mean, I'm not an expert on the algorithms of of Amazon, yep. but that's what I would assume from like basically how search engines work. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: Reviews are super
1: important. Um, and you talk about the algorithms. Uh, also, there's filters. You know, If you're at the top of a marketplace, you can select, show me the, the highest rated. Yeah. And a lot of people do that. And, and boom, if your reviews are good, you'll come up at the top. And uh, you know, reviews are also important um, on retail sites. And even if they don't impact the ranking on the site, which they, pro- they do in some cases, but let's say they don't, uh, it's still important because it's a... Um, it helps the consumer feel good about the purchase or it helps the consumer decide whether they wanna even purchase uh, this item. So we we actually asked about reviews in our survey that I mentioned before, and I have a couple numbers here. 80, 86% of the respondents indicated that uh, reviews helped them choose which products to buy. So that's that's no surprise because we all do it. Uh, 66% said they may hesitate uh, to make a purchase of a product without any reviews. So a lot of people maybe don't want to be the first person purchasing this thing. They want to see what other people have said. And then 83% said that reading negative reviews could cause them to abandon a purchase. Um, you know, I think we have to be careful with that one though because uh, I've, I've also seen research, this wasn't in our research, but I've seen research that says, if you, know, if you see somebody with you know, 70 reviews, I'm making the number up and they're all five star, then you, doubt, you start doubting like, is this real? Uh, was this, you know, this guy sending it to all his friends and, and so a few negative reviews don't hurt, you know, a few, you just don't want the, you just don't want the dramatically negative reviews, you you know? Um, and I think maybe this is what the, this 83% number is. If you see something that's terrible, like I bought this for my kid and Mm -hmm. ended up in the the hospital, uh, you know, because it broke and it stabbed him in the elbow or something, you know, you don't want to see something like that in the review. Um, but yeah, reviews are super important. Totally. And then um, probably the only other thing I'll mention is is obviously pricing. I mentioned that before, but tracking that price over time uh, is also good to see. You know, Bad bad pricing or incorrect pricing will, will definitely impact sales. Um, and so really all of this, you know the content, the, the position in search, the availability, the pricing, the overall goal is uh, to make sure your products are available, they're priced correctly, the consumers' You know, you're looking your best in front of consumers and, and, and therefore hopefully landing near the top of the search, result, search results and converting people that are clicking in to buy. And when you have a problem, it, it could be on your side of the content and you go back and you fix that. It could be a product problem. You go work with your product management team. It could be um, I've given all this to the retailer and they're not they're not representing my product the right way. So then you go work with the channels and you figure out, OK, how can my titles get better? I've given you six images. You're only using one. You know, so there's lots of, uh, lots of leverage you can pull uh, with this data uh, on the retail side to try to improve your performance through those indirect channels too.
0: Fantastic, fantastic. So we've kind of given a good like, lay of the land of where things are now with e-commerce. Let, let's talk about the future. And to talk about that, we're going to kind of wind things back to when you were talking about the discovery phase because historically, I say historically, within the last like 20 years, Uh, e-commerce is very much relied on third-party cookies uh, to place ads uh, in the right places. Mm -hmm. With that ending this year, with Google getting rid of third-party cookies, is that going to completely change how people approach e-commerce marketing? Or is there some kind of comfortable workarounds to get there? Are we still going to be able to target people in similar ways? Well, obviously not in the same ways. Are we going to be able to do the same kind of detailed targeting with the the data available without that kind of third-party data source? Yeah,
1: I think it's interesting um, it's definitely causing a lot of change in the industry, and I think um, 2021 the big news was Apple. Uh, you know, Apple put in their uh, app tracking transparency mm-hmm. and and turned it in from a opt out, which you know you had to, before you had to dig in through all the settings and opt out of being tracked, and now for each app they they put it right in your face and say you want this app to track you. And so that was the big news there. And I think Facebook even said in 2022, that could have an impact of up to $10 billion in ad revenue. Um, And there there, there are anecdotal stories about, uh, you know, smaller upcoming brands that were heavily dependent on Facebook in that audience, that detailed audience data to target their potential customers. Uh, And so, you know, that's definitely having an impact. And you mentioned Google. I think Google's moving in that direction on their mobile platforms as well. And then they're also looking at the, the third party cookies. Google is, is being a little bit more deliberate, I think, um, than Apple was. And some of this thing, some of these things are rolling out over time and they're working with their advertising ecosystem to try to, uh, to try to make sure everybody can win over the long run. So I think, you know, there's definitely lots of techniques that people are, um, develop, or these companies are developing. And I'm, I'm not an expert in all of them, but, you know, essentially trying to, uh, give you audience data without getting all the way down to a specific person so grouping individuals into hey these groups have all you know recently searched for baby products or are looking for sporting you know exercise equipment Uh, so i think i think those will you know end up being some of the solutions Um, the other thing is there's a real a bigger emphasis emphasis on first-party data so uh, the platforms that own their data, which is the first party data, haven't really been impacted. So Google, from a search perspective, you know, Google owns all that data and they can they can give you a lot of uh, feedback. So that really probably hasn't, you know, if you're doing search advertising on Google, all, a lot of these changes probably haven't um, impacted you too much. And then Amazon's the same way. So Amazon has a huge advertising business that's growing uh, super fast. And because of that, um, and because of the big network they have they can they have so much first party data on everybody they can ser- they can serve super relevant ads um and there's a lot of different formats now on amazon where brands can get in there and, and do lots of different uh, you know good things we see a lot of other retailers also creating advertising programs on the back of watching amazon grow a huge you know revenue stream from advertising a lot of retailers just say hey we can do this too and uh, because you know we have the, all, this, all these uh, co- all these all this consumer data, you know we have all this first party data too, so we can actually serve super relevant ads uh, to consumers on our site. So more and more brands, you know we have a lot of our brand customers taking advantage of these uh, retail advertising opportunities. So I think this this retail media um, <clears throat> growth is is being partly driven by uh, some of the privacy changes. Uh, so we can get that first party data. Uh, we also see a lot of brands really focused on building out their own first party data. Um, the buzzword there's customer data platform or CDP, uh, which is, you know, trying to track both known and unknown, uh, customers and prospects. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of experimentation with, um, you know, newsletters and, Promotions and incentives to get consumers to register directly uh, with the brands. They can build up their own own database and not necessarily have to rely as much on third parties, which may or may not be as accurate as they were in the past. But I think you know, long and short of it is, there's a lot of money involved in advertising. There's a lot of big companies involved. There's a lot of smart people involved. You know, smarter than I'll ever be. <laughs> and so it's a problem that will be solved in one way, shape, or form. It may not work exactly um the way it did before but i'm you know i'm confident that over time there'll be some kind of solution that allows you know marketing and advertising groups to spend money with confidence that they're getting some type of roi out of that spend
0: excellent it's it's good to know it's not the complete apocalypse that i read in some of the think pieces on this that's that's, it's a nice bit of reassurance there um this has been awesome mike thank you very much um let's let's tie everything together um it's like what are the golden rules of e-commerce in terms of utilizing data for e-commerce right now? Like what are your what are your big pieces of advice that you want to hand out to our audience?
1: Yeah, if you know, if I had a golden rule, I'd probably you know, I'd I'd probably have a book and be on a speaking tour and have all kinds of uh, <laughs> still time, Mike. <Mark>. still time. <laughs> so, but you know, I think there's some there's some guidelines to follow, and, and certainly every business is a little bit different, and not everything applies to everybody. Um, you know, but as we've talked, I think, you know, the e-commerce is big and it's maybe not going to be as big as everybody thought in second quarter of 2020, but it's, it's growing and it's going to keep growing. And, you know, especially as, um, you know, the younger generations now know nothing different than being online. And so there, there's no doubt it's just going to keep growing. So I think by this point, everybody has that message and, you know, there's nobody that's, I should say, not many that are, aren't are online and fully committed to that anymore. Uh, but once you are online, then, um, you know, I think one of the rules that we talk about all the time is, hey, your, your consumers, whether that be B2C or if you're B2B, I mean, small businesses are just like consumers. Mm-hmm. They're all online and they're not all in one place. They're all over the place looking for, uh, potentially looking for your products. So, you know, as a business, you understand your target market, you understand your customer demographic, where are those people online, let's go meet them where they are, and and make sure they're aware of, you know, of of your products. Um, In doing that, that creates complexity. Uh, As we talked about, um, you know, you need to make sure your offer and your brand is consistent across all of those channels, you need to make sure your product data is consistent. And then you need to monitor those channels to see if they're working. And so the basics are the uh, the revenue, the cost, you know, am I making money? But then a layer deeper is is really then how do you move the levers to make those things go? And that's where you know we talked about on marketplaces. Um, it's really paying attention to those operational metrics to, to make sure you don't run afoul of all the rules you know that those big guys set so you can they can provide the customer experience that they want for their customers. So those operational metrics are important. And then you know when you're working through partners, paying attention to, you know, how your brand looks and monitoring that and tracking it over time and comparing it to the competition, uh, through, you know, brand analytics or digital shelf analytics, uh, because that, that lets you then identify, okay, where are the potential problems? Who do I need to work with to solve the problems? What are the problems I can work, you know, directly with the retailer to solve? Um, so, you know, there's a lot of things to pay attention to, uh, and each channel is a little bit, uh, specific, you know, um, where the data that uh, is important. Um, but it's you know you gotta pay attention. You gotta pay attention to those metrics
0: to, uh, to to have success. Sure, for sure. Well, that's a great note to end on there, Mike. Thank you very much uh, for joining us today. I'm sure our audience has found it very useful. Uh, as we said, e-commerce is not going anywhere anytime soon. So I think pretty much any CMO um, in any industry uh, has got to be thinking about some kind of e-commerce kind of structures for businesses these days um thank you very much to listening to us today um i'm sure you've uh, found it very useful um we'll be back soon with some more cmo combos thanks well